This is a CBC Podcast. Flight 2018 for Pyeongchang now boarding. We tend to think of bobsledding in terms of discipline, and lots of it. So it's fascinating to see a dyed-in-the-wool hippie at the very core of the Canadian men's bobsledding program. Christopher Spring is a World Cup gold medal driver, a veteran of two Olympic campaigns, and there's no getting around it. He's a peace-and-love, long-haired surfer. He lives in his van, loves getting naked, and loves driving down icy chutes at over 155 kilometers per hour. We met at Windsport, his training center in Calgary, to talk it through. I'm Kelly Vanderbeek, Olympic downhiller turned broadcaster and host to CBC's Olympic Overnight. This is PYC Podcast. And there's one thing to clear up immediately. Don't call him Chris. I'm going to get you to say your name before you take your next bite of sandwich. Hi, I'm Christopher Spring. I'm a bobsled pilot for Team Canada. And why do you always say Christopher? Uh, actually, just started doing this recently. Did, did I do it on the phone or something? No, no you, you told me why. You started oh, yeah. saying Christopher rather than Chris. And so I, I thought it was kind of cute. Well, my mom calls me Christopher. And she actually wondered why no one else calls me Christopher. Um, even on the scoreboard or like the announcers, um, you know, if you look me up online, it's, it always says Chris. And that annoys her. And so it started annoying me. So. I introduced myself as Christopher, and surprisingly, a lot of people that don't know me and I just introduced myself to, they call me Christopher back, and it, I thought that was really surprising, but then I, I guess it's, it's not. It shouldn't be. Do you prefer Christopher or Chris, though? I prefer Christopher now. I like it. It's, uh, it's rounded, you know? Is it a throwback to your time with your mom? <laughs> no, I'm serious. Is that a part of it? Uh, I wouldn't say so, no. <laughs> I just feel like, hey, I'm 33, I'm Christopher now. Chris is done. It's all Christopher. So you're saying you've matured? Um, (laughs) my name matured. I I definitely have not matured yet. If you're hearing sounds, Christopher Mm -hmm. is uh, eating some food. You need to power up. What did you just finish? Um, well, I always need to power up. I'm the lightest guy on the team. Okay, okay. Well, give, give us context. You're the lightest guy on the team. And what do you weigh and what do your teammates weigh-ish? I thought I was six foot, but I'm 5'11 and uh, <laughs> 218 pounds. Um, most of the guys are 6'2", 235. So. so you're the lightweight. Yeah, just a little guy. I'm actually one of the small guys on tour as well. So there's a lot of big fellas around and I guess I get used to seeing that, and that becomes the normal for me, guys and girls. So I see a small guy or a small girl, and I think that they're really small, you know. <laughs> I have to wonder about this, and I wanted to ask you, because you became a driver, and yet I know Jesse Lumsden, he attempted being a driver. And What makes you unique to the skill set of a driver? Oh, that's a good question. Um, people say, you know, good reaction, you know, clear mind, good at video games sometimes. I'm not really any of those. Uh, so I think that it's, I think the biggest thing is um, being able to make a decision, make a decision quickly, live with that decision, and uh, and be okay with having to change that decision or change the next decision that you want to make. 
That's kind of a really weird answer. <laughs> Not at all, actually. It makes me think about when you discovered bobsleigh. Can you talk about the first time you saw it and what stuck? I was uh, I was here in Calgary um, on a working holiday because I was born in Australia, so I was over here just uh, just doing doing like kind of a backpacker thing, and um, <clears throat> I was kind of bored one weekend and was looking at things to do in Calgary and. Um, I saw that there was a bobsled track here, so I decided to uh, come out and watch a race. It was a Canadian Championship song, and uh, yeah, I didn't know anything about the sport. I knew that this was the place where Cool Runnings was filmed. And that's, I, a, that's all you need to know, right? That's all I needed to know, right? So I thought, wow, this is cool. Um, just come and watch, and, and uh, saw some sleds rip down, and I, I wouldn't say I was hooked. I was intrigued. So when did you get hooked? Um, probably after my first season. It took me a while to get hooked, actually. Like, I, I started driving, and um, it's not glamorous, hey? Especially in the early days when you're, um, you know, late nights here at the track, 10 o'clock. Um, you're finishing sliding, sometimes even later. And you're driving these old beater sleds that are held together by duct tape. And um, the runs are not smooth, and you're crashing or having, you know, huge hits out of corners. And, and it's cold, and... You're making me really want to do this. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, even know why a lot of people do do this sport. But, um, yeah, it's not it, – in the early days, it, it was tough, hey? And, and it, didn't, it took me a long time until I actually started competing and, and uh, I was representing Australia at the time. And, and, I, and I felt, you know, proud and, and uh, had, like, this spark again that maybe I could be an Olympian. Speaking of which, you're from Darwin. I mean, Australia's hot – Darwin's hotter. You're about as close to the equator as you can get, yet you're a winter Olympian. Where did the bug start? Things started when I realized that I couldn't be a summer Olympian. <laughs> <laughs> and when did that dream come crashing down? Um, probably just before I moved to Canada, actually. I, uh, I ran track not very well, definitely not as good as uh, some of the guys we have on our team here who are very successful track athletes. And, um, yeah, I just I, I hadn't given up on sport, but I'd, I'd kind of given up on my dream of being a competitive athlete. And then, you know, I saw this crazy sport being bobsleigh, and um, I didn't even know at the time, this was in 2007, and I didn't even know that Vancouver was hosting the 2010 Olympics. And, uh, you know, it was, it was such a whirlwind three years leading into 2010 when people were like, yeah, the, the Olympics are like just down the road. And I thought, wow, like maybe I could... Maybe I could go to those. You know, I just started bobsleigh, and I was actually good when I started. Um, I don't really drive by sight, more by how the sled is feeling in my hand. And so um, I feel like the, the learning curve was, was accelerated for me because of that. But then the bug again for the Olympics, like you wanted to be a track athlete. Was it the Sydney Games? Mm, yeah, I would say so. Um, you know, I remember watching... Uh, uh, the 100 meter final and Maurice Green won in a uh, time of 9.88. It's very vivid in my memory, actually. I've watched that that uh, VHS over and over again at the time. <laughs> VHS. <laughs> I remember taping it and writing on there, do not tape over this. My brother would always tempt me. He's like, I'm going to tape over this. I'm like, no, don't do it. Um, kind of dating myself, I guess, but... Uh, yeah, I remember watching that and thinking, yeah, this is going to be for me. You know, I really wanted to 
Mm, I, I think that that a lot of a lot of children growing up, you know, aspire to be Olympians, and it's. I think it's important that there's a, a, a catalyst in their life or some a, a, some sort of point where they think to themselves, you know, maybe this can be for me in it. Whether that's watching an Olympics on TV or meeting an Olympian or you know being surrounded by that that kind of atmosphere, then I think that it's really important for people to to have that to know that that there is a possibility to achieve that goal regardless of what sport it's in. What surprised you most about this journey? Wow. Um, there's been so many surprises. I'm even surprised. Like last week I was surprised. Um, I thought that going to the Olympics was going to change, was going to change me. Like it, somehow physically or emotionally or something that, you know, I would, I would finish the Olympics, finish competing and then somehow be, you know, three inches taller and, and just so much more prouder or it was something that was going to happen to me. And Yet, after both of my Olympic um, experiences in 2010 and also in 2014, <clears throat> the very next day after the closing ceremonies or after I fly home or whatever it was, I have a very humbling experience. And it, it, it's those moments that have surprised me the most, where I think to myself, I'm just, like, I'm, I'm just a regular guy, and the Olympics... It hasn't changed me, and nor should it, nor should it change me. Although you imagine it might make you inches taller. It made you shorter, in fact. You thought you were six foot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's bobsledding has made me shorter. All those uh, compression and, and the, um, the G-forces that we experience, for sure. It's violent, you know, and even the smoothest rides can be, you know, can be really hard on the body and the amount of injuries and, and you know, kind of life like long lifetime injuries that I have sustained are um, something that that kind of weigh on me a little bit. And sometimes at the end of the day, I think to myself, "Is this really worth it?" You know. And I've had those thoughts a lot. And um, obviously, I keep going, so it is worth it right now. But eventually, there'll come a time where I think that it's not worth it in the end. Speaking of which, 2012, your crash. Take us through that a bit and the emotional impact. I um crashed pretty bad in, in 2012 uh, January 5th in a town called Altenburg in Germany I went through the roof of a track and uh, at about 120 kilometers an hour and um, had to get rushed to hospital for surgery I had a, a broken nose um, but the thing that was most um, horrific was I had a, a piece of 2x4 impaled I was impaled by a piece of 2x4 so it was up into my glute and uh, into my back as well so um it ended my season, and uh, even the following season, I've had a lot of problems coming back from uh, from that injury. And um, <clears throat> I would say the the hardest thing with bobsleigh now is coping. Is still coping with that with that crash and trying to move forward without um, without it overwhelming me too much. Um, I've often talked about this internal battle that I have uh, in my mind, and I've seeked out many advice from different sports psychs, friends, family, coaches, everyone, and um, I feel like in the end it's it's a battle that I have to have by myself, and and it's one that some days I I really have trouble with rational thought, thinking that you know you know maybe I have a bad run down the track and I have to do one more training run, and I think to myself, wow, like if I 
you know, if I don't steer, uh, if I steer too long like I did on that last corner, then, you know, that's going to set me up bad for this corner. And what if I go through the roof again? Or what if this time I die? And Or what if I kill one of my teammates? And then I start, like, spinning out of control. And I'm like, I got to reel myself back in and be like, you have a good program here on this track, you know, and, and um, you know, that's not going to happen. And, you know, just execute the program. The run's going to be great. And, uh, and it's this fear. It's this kind of um, tipping scale that sometimes it gets the better of me. And there have been times where I've shut down training, where I'm meant to do one final run. And I'm like, ah, you know what? I'm good. I, I, um, you know, I, feel, I feel confident on the track. I'll tell my coaches, like, don't worry about me. I'm, uh, I'm ready for the race. But really... <laughs> really I'm I'm not you know and um, I guess the the one thing that I, re- I rely on and the one thing that I keep telling myself in the end is that it's okay to be afraid and there are a lot of pilots out there who I've spoken to that the older they get in life the more afraid they do get of the sport um, and and it's because that there's they start to realize there's a lot of other things in life um, that are just as important, if not more important, than what we're doing. And you know, when we're, when I'm out there sliding and trying to win medals, um, it is courageous, and it is courageous coming back from an injury like that, or coming back from a crash where I've nearly killed people. And it's okay to be afraid because without the fear, there is no courage. Takes a lot of strength to have that kind of mental fortitude. Do you feel stronger? Um, some days, for sure. And I think that I don't gain the strength from within. I've looked inside and... <laughs> what are you saying? You're weak inside? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I wouldn't say that. But I, I gain my strength from, uh, from the other athletes, actually. Um, I look to them and I think that these guys, everyone knows this story of of me crashing and, um, or, you know, or the journey that I've had and, and, and yet people, my teammates believe in me and they believe that I can win Olympic medals. They believe I can win world championship, world cup medals. And every time they jump in my sled, they believe that this is the sled that's going to win the race. And yet, why can't I believe that sometimes? I ask myself that all the time. And, um, I guess in the end I find my strength or my drive, my belief in myself, not from within but from from my teammates to find that strength in the start i know i would have a place i would go to try to get my calm and get my strength where do you go when i'm up at the top i'll just head off by myself somewhere for a few minutes and just kind of sit in nature wherever i am if it's underneath a tree or you know some of the places we go to are absolutely beautiful so they're postcard worthy views and so it's not hard to find something inspirational like that. And I think to myself, you know, what are we doing here? Like, we're just bobsledding, right? And it's really, in, in, in this is just a small snapshot of my life. Yes, I've been doing it for 10 years. I'll probably be going for, you know, I don't know how many more years yet. But, it, you know, if I, if I live for 100 years, it's like 10, 15% of my life. You're pretty small, right? And the amount of times that we're, that we're actually on task, you know, there's so much other things going on in the world that are, for me, far more important, um, whether it be friendships, family, relationships, things like that, that um, it kind of gives me peace knowing that, you know, we're not trying to cure cancer here. We're just driving a bobsled down a track. It's a simple but pure goal in that effort. But you've also 
work towards a simpler life. And that includes a van. <laughs> Can you tell us about what brought you to a van life and how you pared down? The, the, the first thing was moving to Whistler, and this was a couple years ago when I moved out there in the summer. There was uh, um, a relationship of mine that I was dating a girl for, for about four years, and, and that en- ended um, a couple years ago. And uh, it was really hard for me to see her regularly, so I just had to get out. And, and I've always felt like Whistler was a, a great place for me, and it's um, always brought me calm and... Um, and also excitement, you know, with, with the track there. So I moved out there temporarily and um, ended up, you know, meeting a bunch of people that uh, just, like, life was number one out there. It's life and passion was number one priority, and everything else had to fall into place around those things, you know? And and I'd never really experienced that before, you know, out here in Calgary. Not to say people don't have that here, but, you know, it was work, make money, you know, try and build an empire so that there are three weeks a year they can go on a vacation somewhere go to whistler for vacation <laughs> exactly right exactly and, and then there was like this click in my head that thought hey why don't i have less um have the ability to to live off less and then also if i don't need as much to live then i don't need to work as much and i don't you know i can spend more time on the things that i want to do and that's living you know and that's you know, surfing out in tofino or hiking these mountains or skiing in the you know after the bobsled season stuff like that and i thought man these guys have got have got it right you know and and for the last however many years i've had it a little bit backwards and so there's a few athletes actually some ski cross athletes that were living this van life and i'm like they're they're doing it as athletes man i for sure can do this so that was the the big step for me so what makes you feel richest right now and I feel liberated when I get rid of things. And people are, think I'm crazy. Hey, I remember last year um, I was wearing this shirt and Neville says, man, where'd you get that shirt? And one of my teammates, Neville, I said, oh, was, I don't know, is this a shirt? And he's like, if you, if you can get me an, get another one of those, can, can you get me one? I was like, why don't you have this one? He's like, well, no, I don't want to take your shirt. And I took my shirt off right there. We were at dinner. I was like, here, have it, man. I don't need it, you know? And that... What makes me feel rich is enriching other people's lives. I've often said about um, the Olympics, I, was ha- I had a, um, an interview after the weekend of racing there with CBC and um, we were talking about, about the Olympics. And for me, the thing that I'm most excited about is having three guys that have never been to the Olympics, whether or not they're on my sled or someone else's sled, go to the Olympics here in, in Pyeongchang. And for them to have that experience, enriches my life and so I guess that that's what makes me rich feel rich is is enriching other people's lives all right what have you kept um in terms of bobsleigh stuff I don't keep medals um and my teammates give me a hard time about this too because and and that's fine you know because to them the medal symbolizes something for them um but I've only ever kept two medals in my whole career the rest trophies all the you know the, the the trophies the other world cup medals that i win i just throw them out <laughs> which did you keep um my two gold medals that i've won um and it's for me it's just like a small reminder that like on this one day in my life i was the best in the world at something and so yeah that's why i keep the golds 
the other the other medals to me uh, I have the memories and that's all that matters and if I ever win an Olympic medal I'll probably get rid of my World Cup medals the the two goals that I have right now because yeah again that they, they don't really mean that much to me anymore it's it's just the memories it's a big deal best in the world on a day yeah I think that that's something that I'd eventually want to tell someone one day like hey there was this one time one day where there wasn't anyone better than me I think that's kind of cool and so those uh those those are the the two medals that I've kept yeah two golds I have a quote from you saying, I just have a few things that I need and a few memories that I cherish. That's it for me. What do you cherish? What memory? Oh, it's not really, it's not the races that um, I have these memories from. It's more the times outside of the, of the track. Uh, I remember last year, I was rooming uh, with my teammate Tim Randall in St. Moritz in Switzerland, and it's a beautiful place in the world. And... Uh, it's really easy to find inspiration there, but we we had read uh, somewhere on social media that one of our mutual friends, her father just passed away from cancer, and she's young too, and um, we didn't even know he was sick. And, you know, we sent a message out, reached out to her, and, and obviously she was really upset. And we have a day off before the race, and we went up to the top of one of the mountains there, um, took a gondola up, and we just wanted to kind of like figure out like like what are we actually doing you know it was one of those moments that kind of you know hit you at home a bit and um <clears throat> and we're up the top there and there were these these uh locals that were paragliding just running off the mountain with parachutes up and just just cruising around in the air and uh, we thought it was just the coolest thing and we for some reason we wanted to like somewhat celebrate this moment where we think to ourselves like hey there's so much more to to life than just this sport or these you know petty arguments that we get into or whatever it is so we we kind of hiked up a little bit further up the mountain and we just stripped down naked and we stood there just looking out to these guys were just parachuting off the mountain and we were just standing up there butt naked and it was oh it was it was such a, an experience it was it was out it was an out of body experience to, to out of body in your birthday suit <laughs> yes you know to be standing there with with um not just a teammate but a close friend of mine who i've known for you know since he started the sport in 2010 and we finally realized that it's great to win medals but at the end of the day we we want to be happy and 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 the happiness will help bring medals as well. And so we have this saying now. We have this uh, this one word, and we say parachute. So whenever we're getting a little bit stressed or a little uptight about whatever it is, and I'm getting upset about it, he'll be like, "Hey, parachute, man!" And it brings me back to this time of us standing at the top of this mountain, butt naked. You know, it was amazing, absolutely amazing. I'm not sure how I'm gonna get through the rest of this. I'm just. <laughs> got a mental visual here um not complaining all right uh <laughs> what makes a brakeman good other than parachuting um <laughs> what makes a good brakeman a good brakeman is someone that knows what i need and whether that's space or encouragement or you know help with with, with the sled or whatever it is it's the it's the little details and i've had some i've had some great athletes as my brakeman but I wouldn't say that they're the best brakemen I've ever had. You know, the best brakemen I've ever had are, are great teammates who, who are always asking, you know, if I need a hand or if I, 
you know, need some time to myself or if I want to go grab a coffee and just talk about, like we have this no bobsled time rule where we don't talk about bobsled because all we do all the time is bobsled. And we have to have this no bobsled time stuff. So whether we're talking about girls or, you know, something funny we saw on TV or whatever it is, there has to be no bobsled time. And so for me, that what that's what makes a good teammate, a, a good brakeman is someone that understands who I am. Now back to tracks. Whistler, it's where you live now. It's your home track. It's pretty gnarly. What's Pyeongchang like? Uh, the track there is beautiful, actually. it's For one, it's, it's fully covered, which... Um, for our sport is I think it's essential if you want to have a fair race um, whenever it's snowing if there's a snow blowing into the track things like that it, it becomes a bit unfair um, so the track is fully covered it's difficult but it's not dangerous um, and I think that that's a that's a key aspect of the track if you make if you make mistakes you're not punished by you know having a wicked crash you're punished by being really slow to the bottom and uh, does that help your demons um yes and no um the fear helps create this something inside of me that makes me a good driver because i know the consequences on the other end um and sometimes when i am at an easy track i don't drive so well because i don't have as much of that fear to to kind of keep me in line you know i'm canadian born and raised representing canada how is it wearing a different flag? And uh, July 1st, 2013, you were officially dual citizenship. Describe that. For a long time now, I've actually felt a lot more Canadian than I have Australian. Um, and I think that the biggest part of that is because um, those, like what I feel like are foundation years, you know, 21, 22, 23, when I'm really figuring out like who I am in life and what kind of man I want to um, represent myself as we're here in Canada and and so walking into the opening ceremonies in Sochi in 2014 I didn't feel any different and, and I'd already been competing for Canada for four years prior to that right so um, I was just as proud to walk in um, into those Olympics as I was when I walked in for Australia in 2010. Tell me a little bit about your home life and your family are they a part of your emotional team essentially? I would say so. Um, I I don't really speak to a lot of people back home about bobsleigh. Um, definitely mom and dad and my my brother and his wife and um, a couple friends that, that follow me along. Um, but I I wouldn't say that they're like a huge part of my emotional um, team. Uh, I speak to them, bef- you know, try and speak to them once a week before races, and and my mom and dad will watch every single race and cheer me on and and it means a lot that it means a lot to me that i know that they're um they're proud of me regardless of what country you know i'm competing for and um and they just they love the fact that i'm out here doing what i love and um i think it took a little bit of time for them to realize that (laughs) that i wasn't coming home and that that this was a life that i that i want to live and um that was difficult for sure for a long time but now they're they're just super stoked that I that I'm happy and I think at the end of the day that's what they're really happy about is that that I'm in a good place when I say 154.4 kilometers per hour what does that make you think um it makes me think that it's 0.1 off of what I did it was 154.5 oh I got it oh man 
<laughs> I love it. Uh, hey, that point counts. Of course it counts, yeah. Well, there goes all my research points. <laughs> you know, we have a great team behind us this year, regardless of who's in the sled. You know, I've had three races now, three World Cup races, and, and a different crew for a couple of them now. And, and each time I know that we have a chance to win a, a medal. And so going into Pyeongchang, I think the that anything an athlete ever wants going into a big competition is, is a chance to win a medal and I feel like I have that chance with whatever team is behind me whatever the coaches choose or whoever the coaches choose it's fun huh yeah it is you know and competition is what drives this and I've often said I don't actually need to win an Olympic medal but I want to win an Olympic medal and this is why I don't need an Olympic medal because I know that there's so much more to life at than just this medal, you know what I mean? There's so many other memories that I want to create. But I do want to win an Olympic medal. That's a strong but sound distinction. And you're a self-proclaimed hippie. How do you define hippie? I define a hippie, uh, at least my, ter- my feelings of me being a hippie, is someone that, that can live their life knowing that if, if they lost everything, all their possessions that they'd still be okay because when they go to sleep that night, the, the only thing that they have left is their memories. And at the end of the day, that's all we really need. What memory would you hold at that moment? <laughs> right now, I'd hold this memory of me being at the top of Switzerland naked because it just brings such a huge smile to my face, you know? Like, like yeah. I, could just, I could just be, you know? Every, every time I look like... People may not know this, but I love getting naked at, like in, in nature. Hey, So um, this summer I hiked up Wedge Mountain in Whistler um, and I was up the top there. And it, it's, a, it's a hard hike, right? Two hours up and it's up, up the whole way. And I'm up the top and, and it's this beautiful glacier lake up there and there's still snow. It's the middle of July and, and it's freezing cold water. And I'm up there and... I'm like, I got to get naked and get in this water. And you know what happens? Everyone else, people, it, it like, it gives, it empowers people. There are other people now getting naked and getting into the water, you know? Like, it's something about, it's something about just bringing yourself back to, like, that primal being who we are, you know? Like, who we are in our DNA. It's just, let's just get back to that, you know? Simple. Let's live that simple life. See, for me, it was if I got a room to myself, I loved it because I could walk around my room naked all the time. I was like, <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't happen to me. I'm always with my teammates. But uh, that doesn't stop them walking around naked all the time, too. <laughs> One last thing. I know you love to stargaze. And for me, I, Orion was my buddy in the sky. No matter where I was, it was my morning warm-up. I'd take a look at him, and then I'd go out. What connects you? Firstly, what are you doing up so early? <laughs> racing starts early we don't have lights (laughs) wow that's uh i'm like you get up and you look at the stars like what time are you what time are you getting up at i didn't spend enough time naked the night before obviously (laughs) (laughs) for me um i have like great memories of sitting i'm a terrible surfer and people think oh you come from australia you must be amazing at surfing but i'm actually a really bad surfer but i love to surf um, and when I'm sitting on my board, like just out pa- past the break a bit, you have a lot of time for your own thoughts and it just, 
you know, the, I don't know if it's the motion of the ocean or um, the fact that, you know, I'm doing something that, that seems so organic. You know, you're on this surfboard and, and you're using nature to create, you know, fun for yourself. But that really brings me back to the person that I want to be. It grounds me. It connects me to who I am, you know. Um, so definitely anytime I'm in nature, whether I'm, you know, skiing or, or up hiking or outside um, or out on the water, then, yeah, I feel, I feel this sense of freedom with the ability to be the person that I want to be. Thank you for chatting with us, Christopher. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Your mom would like that. I think so, yeah. She'd love it. <laughs> that was Christopher Spring, Canadian bobsledder on the PYC podcast. With plenty more on iTunes, be sure to check it out. I'm Kelly Vanderbeek. Our exec is Ken Wolf. Our producer is David Giddens. And our mixer and editor, Andrea Morales. Thank you for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.